Well, good morning, church. Uh, thank you for being here today to worship with us together here at Solid Rock. We want to welcome those who are in person. If you are tuning in on, online, we would like to welcome you as well. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, uh, my name is Jeremy, and I have the honor and the privilege to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be opening up God's Word with you today. Uh, in fact, this morning we're actually starting a brand new series. As you can see, we finished up Jonah, uh, and now we are in the book of Ephesians, and we have um, decided to uh, title this Ephesians, the Mystery of the Gospel. Uh, if you've ever had a desire to truly understand the gospel, at least to the degree that our finite minds can do so, like Ephesians is your book. It is both a uh, theological and a practical work that is beneficial for the church then, who it was written to, and then even us today. And although it is only 155 verses, which you think about it is not a whole lot, one commentator said this about Ephesians, pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document in church history. It's a pretty hefty claim, and so I'm really excited for us to be able to open God's Word uh, with you today. So buckle your seatbelts. I will tell you that this is a very heavy passage, and what I mean by that is there's a good chance you will read this, and there will be some things that you are left scratching your head over, and that's okay. Uh, that was the same for me as I was preparing for this message, and so... Um, we just we, we have to trust that God knows what he's doing, uh, that God superintended his word to be written through the, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, and, and we're going to look and see what he has for us today. And so if you do have your Bible, I hope you have it open to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we will be at today. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one around you somewhere underneath your seat, perhaps. Uh, that is our gift to you to have and to utilize this morning. Well, we, before we get into Ephesians, I think it's important for you guys to have some context of what's happening in Ephesians, just to give you a better understanding of what Paul is writing here and, and the, the meaningfulness of it. So, as I said before, it is widely accepted that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the author, is the author of this book. Uh, it is actually a letter that was written to a church in the city of Ephesus, which was uh, an ancient city in an area that was known at the time as Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, the country of Turkey today. And one noteworthy aspect of this letter is it was written in a very general manner. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that Paul isn't so much addressing a particular question or a particular heresy or a particular challenge as he's doing in other books of the Bible, but he is writing in a general way for us to understand God's relationship with the church. In fact, many scholars believe that Paul wrote this letter with the intention of it not just being read to uh, the churches that are there in the city of Ephesus, but that it would also be circulated among churches in that greater region. And so um, this is something that wasn't just for Ephesian, the Ephesian Christians, but it's something for many Christians all over uh, that area. And, and honestly, if you think about it, if you read Ephesians, you'll realize that it's something that not only was beneficial for the church in its early beginnings, uh, back when this was written in 60 AD, uh, but it's also beneficial for the church today in 2022. So with that being said, a little context, let's take your Bible and let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing as an apostle here, as somebody who has been physically sent out by Jesus for a specific purpose. And he's writing to this church in Ephesus whom he calls faithful saints. These are individuals who have trusted Jesus for their salvation who, and who are spiritually in Christ. These are individuals who... Um, have put their faith and trust in him. And what Paul is going to do after he gives this opening greeting in the first two verses is he's going to launch into this extraordinary passage filled with theological truth, with deep mystery, and with the beautiful knowledge of the work of God. And that makes up the rest of this passage. In fact, speaking of the term in Christ that I just mentioned a moment ago, we are going to see that phrase several times throughout this whole passage. In fact, it, it, it occurs at least 10 times in this passage alone and over 30 times throughout the whole book of Ephesians. So what does that mean, in Christ? Why is that important? Well, simply put, in Christ means that we have a saving relationship with Christ. We are no longer spiritually dead because of our sin, but we have become spiritually alive because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. His grace, his sufficiency, his mercy are available to us as believers. And so this term in Christ is going to drive our conversation this morning. And what we're going to look at specifically are three reasons why we enjoy the spiritual blessings of being in Christ. So if you are taking notes, I encourage you to do so, by the way. That's, that's what we're going to be walking through today is the reasons that we who are in Christ enjoy spiritual blessings. And so with that said, here's the first reason. The first reason that we enjoy the spiritual blessings of being in Christ is because we have been chosen by the Father. Take a look with me at verses 3 through 6. <clears throat> it says, Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of a world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Right off the bat, Paul delivers some powerful and mysterious truths. He is highlighting God's gracious selection of sinners for salvation. He is recognizing and praising God the Father and God the Son for two reasons. First, because God has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. And Paul also praises God the Son because God has predestined us as adoption or for adoption as sons. And how wonderful and how beautiful are these divine blessings of God. And let's talk about these blessings for just a moment. You know, God doesn't hold back from his blessings to his people, his children. In fact, verse 3 says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Before the foundation of the world, verse 4 says that we are in Christ, that before the world was ever 
created. What a divine mystery this is. And how does that all work? Well, it's hard for us to understand the nuts and bolts of it. Remember, I told you there's some things that you read in the Bible and you're like, well, I, I, just, I just don't know how to fit that together. That's confusing to me. Well, that's the subtitle of the series, why it's the mystery of the gospel. We don't have to fully understand it. The Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways. But what we need to understand is that Paul is very plain and very clear in what he's saying here. He's saying before any of us were ever born, before Texas ever came to be, before Christians ever came to America, before apostles left Galilee, before Moses received the Ten Commandments, before Noah built the ark, before Adam and Eve ever walked with God, he chose us to be his own. What a beautiful miracle. And for what purpose? Why, why in the world did God do this? Well, Paul tells us here to be holy and blameless in love before him. Obviously, something has to happen in our lives for us to be holy and blameless. Right? The Bible's very clear that on our own, by our own merits, we are incapable, it's impossible for us to be holy and blameless. So something has to happen. We don't just all of a sudden be holy and blameless. Well, God addresses that as well. He addressed it before we were ever born. Verse five tells us that God predestined us as adopted sons through Jesus Christ himself. How am I able to be holy and blameless? Because I'm a son of God. That's huge. Paul doesn't say that God looked ahead to figure out who his people were as if he didn't already know it doesn't say that God suddenly realized out of thin hair you know that who his children were he said under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit God chose his children and predestined them for adoption man that word adoption is such a powerful word here it's so significant according to Roman law when adoption was complete, the person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost the rights from his old family. In fact, in the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new that even all of his debts and all of his obligations connected with his whole family were abolished as if they never existed. Why does that matter? What well, matters because God's adoption means that we are added to his family. And that our, our old sinful life no longer has a hold on us. It no longer has a right to us. Instead, we have become a new person in Christ. What a privilege to know God as Father. I hope that's encouraging to you when you don't feel like you're worthy of it. I hope that's encouraging to you when you think, oh, I've messed up again. How can God keep loving me? Because you're his son and you're his daughter. Because he's your father. It's unconditional. Verse five tells us that he did this according to the purpose of his will. It delighted him to be able to adopt us into his spiritual family. We didn't beat him into submission. Okay, fine, I'll accept you now. No. He was happy to do it. It was according to the purpose of his will. And then finally in verse six, it tells us 
what our response should be to that, that we should thank God for the work that he has accomplished in us through the work of Jesus by his grace. Church, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve adoption, but because of the grace of God, he has chosen us for adoption. Man, what a spiritual blessing is that? Here's the second one. The second reason that we enjoy the spiritual blessings of being in Christ is because we have been redeemed by Jesus the Son. Look at verses 7 through 10. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. So building on what he has already said about blessings, the blessings that we have in Christ, Paul now overflows with praise to God for this great redemption that has been accomplished through Jesus. And remember what I said about that term, in Christ, It means that we have a saving relationship with Jesus. The relationship that we receive and enjoy is secured on our behalf. One commentator said it's like this. It's like a spouse and children who benefit from a medical insurance policy of the policyholder. There's nothing that they've done to secure that medical coverage, yet the work of the policyholder benefits them. The work of Jesus allows us to be in him, meaning that he pays the sin penalty for us and we receive the rewards of his righteousness. Notice, we don't do anything. God has done it all. You know, on this earth, we experience some of the benefits of being in Christ, most notably the redemption that we have. Paul tells us, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You know, to be redeemed means to be bought back. There is a payment and a penalty for our sin and our trespasses, but in Christ something else happens. We don't have to receive that, pe- that penalty that we deserve, but instead Christ received it on our behalf. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Church, in Christ we have been redeemed. Our sins are forgiven. This is the work of God, done through Jesus, and it was done through the richness of his grace. And Paul says that that is grace that he lavishes upon us. I love that word. He pours out on us. It's ours for the taking. You know, there's a book that I, uh, I read to my daughter at times. It's this one, Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree. It's a good book, by the way. Some pretty solid reading, if you get a chance. And I would venture to say that most of us are aware of Winnie the Pooh, been around a long time, And most of us probably are aware of what it was that Winnie the Pooh loved. What was it? Honey, there you go. Honey. It's what he loved. He he couldn't get enough 
of this honey. Now, can you imagine if Winnie the Pooh had found himself in a room where he had an endless supply of honey? Like he would eat and he would eat and he would eat and he would be the most ecstatic stuffed bear you have ever seen. Well, when it comes to the blessings of God's grace, we have an infinite supply because of Jesus. And that should make us ecstatic as well. It's hard to put into words the incredible grace that God gives us daily. Then finally in verses 9 and 10, Paul makes it clear that God is revealing this redemption plan to us so that we can understand the mystery of his will. Before the world began, the mystery was unknown until Jesus brought it to revelation. And then when he did, these blessings of forgiveness and redemption and adoption are poured out on us, making it possible for us to know God. And and why has God chosen to make known the mystery of his will, as verse 9 says? Well, the great theologian John Stott answered this question well when he said this. In the fullness of time, God's two creations... His whole universe and his whole church will be unified under the cosmic Christ who is the supreme head of both. God's ultimate plan is that we are to be united, all things united together with Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So not only do we enjoy the spiritual blessings of being in Christ because we were chosen by God and because we were redeemed by the Son, but the third thing is this. It's because that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. Paul continues, he says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This word inheritance is a pretty important word here. An inheritance implies that something is guaranteed for us, but it has not yet been received. We see that happen in today's world sometimes, that there is a plan for someone to receive an inheritance when somebody dies, but they don't yet have it for whatever reason. Well, the inheritance that is secured for us, according to this passage, is because of our election and our predestination and our adoption that God has given to us, that God has given to those who are in Christ and our result should be praise for his beautiful glory and gift to us. Paul speaks further of this future inheritance by speaking of the marvelous word of God's Holy Spirit. In verse 13, he says that it is in Jesus where we have heard and we have believed. And even though we've been chosen and predestined by God, God's process is still that we would hear and that we would believe. For those who are Christ's followers, we have heard and believed in the gospel of Jesus. Then the verse after that says that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. The word sealed here is important. 
The word seal here means to signify ownership and authenticity by the backing of the owner. Church, nothing can break the seal of the Holy Spirit. Or in other words, nothing can take away the salvation that you've received from God through Christ Jesus. Verse 14 essentially says that the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that we will have an inheritance that he promised us and that he has purchased us to be his own people. So what does that mean? What does that mean that I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it means at least three things. First, it means that we have assurance. You can be sure that the work that God has begun in you, he intends to finish it. It's not a situation where you're saved and God's like, okay, you're on your own. No. He's right there with us every step of the way. Even when we feel discouraged spiritually or we feel like we've let God down somehow, he continues to work in our lives. Be encouraged by that. You're not on your own, even though we feel like that sometimes, don't we? To be healed, sealed, excuse me, by the Holy Spirit secondly means that we can have hope. We can face whatever trial that we experience in this life. God continues to weave our story from beginning to end according to his will and purpose. And then finally, being sealed by the Holy Spirit means that we can have boldness in sharing our faith. Paul knew that God had already determined who would be saved. This gave him the ability, though, and the desire to keep sharing the message of the gospel boldly. For God to use him within the salvation story of others, we have to have that same boldness as well. It's easy to sit in our chair and think, oh, well, if God already knows who's going to be saved, why do I do anything about that? Because God has called us to. What an incredible opportunity for us to share the gospel with somebody and be part of their salvation story. What an incredible thing that we have that opportunity to do so because God allowed that. That's huge. We can't just sit back and hope somebody gets saved or think that we don't have a responsibility because church, that's not true. We've been given the responsibility to share our faith, to communicate the gospel that we are sinners in need of Jesus. As we begin wrapping up this morning, let me just say, I know that there is a lot packed into this passage. I was up late last night just trying to think through how can I best communicate this so that it can be understood clearly to people. I'm not even sure if I fully understand it myself. In fact, I can tell you I don't. But as I said before, God's ways are higher than my ways. And I know that the message is very clear. That he has chosen us that he has redeemed us, that he has sealed us. And so with that said, I hope that the weightiness of this passage doesn't cause you to check out or to disengage, but I want to encourage you to engage with this passage today. And so I want to offer to you a couple of questions to facilitate that engagement. That we don't have a hands-off as if we don't have a responsibility, but what does God have for us? Here's question number one. As we think through this passage, first of all, it's this. How has this passage affected your understanding of what it means to be in Christ? You know, that phrase, in Christ, 
seems insignificant, right? When you read that, again, it happens over 10 times, so it's super easy to just kind of gloss over it as we're reading, but let me tell you, in Christ, there is nothing insignificant about that. It's huge. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Our old sinful life, who we used to be, has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive a new identity. We are spiritually becoming a brand new person and find ourselves in Christ where God no longer sees our imperfections, but he sees the righteousness of his own son. So when we look in the mirror and we think something's wrong with us, let me tell you, Christ follower, there's nothing wrong with you anymore. God sees you. He loves you. You are more than anything this world says that you are receive that because you're in Christ question number two how often do we reflect on what God has given us in Christ that he has chosen us that he has redeemed us that he has adopted us as children well here's my answer to that not often enough I'm not thinking about that nearly as much as I should You know, it's so easy to take my relationship with God for granted. It's so easy to think about my relationship with Jesus when I'm in church or I'm at a church function or something like that. But otherwise, you know, we're often thinking about so many other things, right? Well, let me tell you, he deserves more than that. The the frequency by which we think about what all God has done for us has to increase. And don't receive that as a legalistic statement. What I mean by that is, I'm not asking you or saying to you, oh, well, you're a bad Christian because, you know, you don't think about God every second of the day. That's not what I'm saying at all. But at the same time, when I think about the many spiritual blessings that we have listed here in Ephesians 1, that we receive as Christ followers, it sure does remind me that my time could be better spent on Christ versus what I give my time to today. And then question number three. If you, begin, if you began to see bringing him praise as your purpose in life, how would this change things? You know, in this passage, on four different occasions, Paul mentions that God is deserving of our praise because of the spiritual blessings that he has given to us as believers, that he has lavished upon us. Unfortunately, though, when you look at the world today, our expressions of praise are often misplaced, aren't they? We see praise for celebrities more than we see praise for Jesus. We see praise for sports teams more than we see praise for Jesus. We see praise for television shows more than we see praise for Jesus. Here's a big one. We see praise for ourselves more than we see praise for Jesus. And if we're being honest, really what this boils down to is a worship problem. We worship the wrong things. And friends, let me tell you, I say this to myself, that has to change. Instead, we should praise God 
for who he is and for what he has done. That is our ultimate life purpose, to worship God. And when we do, our life looks different. It begins to look less about what the world has to offer, which is fleeting, which is empty, and it begins to be more about what God has for us, which is eternal and fulfilling beyond anything we could ask or imagine. This great salvation that God has provided us is centered on the person and work of Jesus. It's only through our union with Christ that we are able to have and enjoy his spiritual blessings. And so I say to you today, are you enjoying his spiritual blessings? Have you received Jesus in order to do so? Because if not, today is the day that you can do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Ephesians chapter 1. While it is a heavy passage theologically, and while it's hard sometimes to understand it all or to put it all together the way that we think it should be put together, Lord, at the end of the day, Lord, you have chosen us. You have redeemed us. You have sealed us. And that is what matters the most. And Lord, I know for myself, often when I read this passage, my go-to isn't to be praising of you, to worship you for it, but my go-to is to think, I don't deserve this. God, I screw up all the time. Why in the world would you do this for me? And that mindset misses the point because it fails to see that God did it because he loved us because he has adopted us as sons and daughters. Would that be what we receive today? Would we put aside the condemnation of ourselves and receive his grace and his mercy and his love? Because that's what matters the most. Those are the spiritual blessings that we should be dwelling on every single day. So Lord, if there's anybody here today who has never put their faith and trust in you, has not yet believed in the gospel, Lord, I pray that today is that day. Lord, you are ready to receive them, to adopt them into your family. And Lord, for those who are Christ followers but maybe have lost sight of what it means to be adopted, Lord, would you renew that in us? Because there's nothing in this world that matters more than what you have for us. Your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your love. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have chosen according to your will to give this to us a people who are undeserving, yet would we be so thankful today. It's in your name I pray, amen.